It's Friday, February 19th. We're back. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. I was going to say Russ isn't sick anymore, but bro, I think you're... Still coughing. The cough is lingering quite a bit, and uh, it it kills me every day. Although I will tell you this, after like three weeks of coughing, I'm going to be ripped. My abs are getting a great workout. (laughs) Yeah, nice. uh, No broken ribs though, right? Feeling good about it. <laughs> oh man! Uh, and we all finally have power and internet and gas, yeah. right? Yeah. My internet was pretty spotty yesterday, but it's back in force today. And nice. power has been on steadily since it was re-enabled after yeah. almost three days of being out. Yeah, Tyler, I think you had it the worst, man. I uh, I was laughing when I sent you. I laugh at my jokes, and I know no one else does. But when I sent you the photo <laughs> of. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the the Revenant or whatever. I was like, mm-hmm. this is this is what I imagined Tyler for like four straight days now. That that was pretty accurate. No bear wrestling this time. Oh, that's good. Anyways, no, it was it was cold. Uh, obviously, we had a lot of uh, snow and ice crap that everyone got, but keeping the house warm was an experience. Put it yeah, that way. Well, it's a good thing you're. Aren't you an Eagle Scout? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I felt pretty prepared, all things considered. Um, I did not have a generator because I've never really been in a situation where I needed a generator. That's I've always like wanted one. Wood starter thing, you know? Oh, shoot. I got I got fire starting down easy. <laughs> no, I, I've always wanted a generator, but every time I've seen one that's like gone on sale or something, I, I'll go to my wife. I'll be like, can I get it? Can I get it? She's like, no, we don't need a generator. Get out of here. Like if one goes on sale tomorrow, I'm probably going to be a generator owner. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I'm almost certainly going to be at least getting quotes for and investigating like whole home, uh, sure. probably natural gas and or propane hybrid backup generators. Because if I size it right for my house, it's an expense that I wouldn't have considered or really want in my life. But never having to worry about anything like that would actually yeah. be pretty slick. It's like paying for backups in your data center. It's yeah, worth yeah, it when you need it. Important people. Yep. 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 Uh, yep. So that I got solar coming, which would have helped, but wouldn't have prevented all of this, obviously. And at night, it would have been, you know, cold with uh, yeah. all my power coming from panels. But and neither um, of y'all had flooded yeah. homes from broken pipes, right? No, that's not good. at all. Not on my one end. of my neighbors, they have been without water for I guess since Monday or Tuesday or something like that, or I guess they didn't mm. have heat, so they couldn't shower, oh, didn't have gas or something. I don't, I don't know showers. what the deal is. Um, well, they hadn't showered in like five days. And then I guess like two days ago, they had a pipe burst in their house. One of the bedrooms oh, upstairs, water is coming through the fan, yeah. out the switches, out the AC vents, just like flooding the room. It was yeah. unbelievable. There's so yeah. much of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then simultaneously, right after that, I found out that uh, our kids go to the same elementary school and the elementary school's fire suppression system had a pipe that burst. And then so the school just flooded with water. No, no. Yeah, that's awful. Everything else good in your world, Russ, though? Yeah, everything else is good. Just, uh, you know, everyone trying to get over being sick. You know, Lindsay being pregnant, she couldn't take anything through this. And uh, forget about that. Yesterday, her... I guess, illness, you could say, started sort of resurfacing. So after we had all kind of gotten a little better, I mean, we're all still coughing. uh, Yesterday, she was kind of down and out. So it was me and Kate kind of just running around the house all day yesterday while she was trying to sleep and and work. And and her company is based in Minnesota. 
And so they don't understand the problem that we're having. They're like, well, it's only minus two. I don't know what your issue is. <laughs> we're like, minus two here is like minus 150 where you come from. It's, yeah. it's a very different yeah. scenario. It's very different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Let's get into some tech news. Today in tech history, Ooh. importantly relevant for the podcast here, February 19th, 1878, 143 years ago today, Thomas Edison patents the phonograph, the first device with the ability to record sound and play it back. Here we are. It was the first podcast device. That's right. Nice. And here we are using the technology wow. as uh, the number one tech podcast in the world, in the universe. I'm going to start saying everything in the universe now that we landed on Mars again. Yeah, that seems fine. <laughs> I like I, it. I mean, it's an accurate statement to accounts, yeah. most popular and universal. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So I guess let's just get into some tech news. How do we do this? It's been so long. Do y'all want to talk about the Mars rover at all that it landed? Did y'all see it? I didn't. Uh, I mean, I saw the pictures that it sent back after the fact. And I was I was reading about the six-month journey. And I was just just floored by the the notion of our ability to be able to do these things. So cool. and, and I recognize that it's been done before. I just... It's just so it doesn't impressive. make it less cool to do it again. Exactly. Like I tell people all the time, you know, in, in our line of work, we, we do with VMware a lot and they do virtualization. And I still, when I think about the concept of virtualization after 15 years of doing it, I still just think it's cool. Yeah. Like it's just a cool thing to me. And so the, the Mars rover, no matter how many times we send something to Mars, I feel like it's always just going to be cool <laughs> to me that we can send things to Mars. So I was looking at the pictures coming back and a lot of people were putting kind of funny memes about, you know, aliens peering into the camera yeah. and stuff like that. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I didn't get to see it because I was focusing on the, the hearing stuff yeah. uh, yesterday and chasing yeah. my daughter around, which we'll probably talk in another episode about. But that was uh, that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, I so I was hoping to watch it. I had it on in the in the uh, TV room out there for the girls. But I had phone calls all through that time period, so I missed the GameStop hearing and this. Um, caught a little bit of the. I was watching it happen, I guess, on Twitter. But I want to go back and watch it uh, like bit for bit. PBS was doing a fantastic dive into all the different aspects, talking to all the different people throughout the program and all that kind of stuff. And then fascinating too is you're talking about you know, hey, I'm impressed by VMware. Well, we're going to have another like history making type of a moment. And maybe that doesn't make sense connecting in your mind, but what the Wright brothers did in 1903 in Kitty Hawk is going to happen for the first time on Mars here shortly, whenever they launch, um, the, um, what's the name of it? Perseverance is the Rover ingenuity. I think maybe is the helicopter. Anyway, it's going to be cool. First time, uh, testing flight on another planet. Wait a minute. Yeah. That's awesome. We're testing a helicopter on Mars now? Yeah. Oh, come on now. We've been there. We, we talked about this. You remember? I don't know when we talked about it. You look like you're on, I was here or not. On, a bunch of, on a bunch of decongestion medicine. Pro probably. Uh, yeah, maybe you weren't Almost here. Almost certainly. But yeah, the rover is going to launch a, um, a, a small helicopter-looking thing. Helio about the size of an SUV. That's awesome. So, I'm super excited yeah, about that. Who's flying it? I don't know. I've reached out to a few different people on Twitter uh, that will be controlling it or flying it. Really? I don't know how you fly it. It's so it's wow. a 22 minute wow. round trip time between commands and receiving, right? Because it travels. At That's what I'm saying. Like there's a, <laughs> there's quite a bit of lag. Yeah. And trust me, I would not be the person flying it because I would be screaming about the so lag. Mad. It's not something that I could handle at all. <laughs> this, 22 minutes I, of lag. Yep. I wonder, I wonder if uh, like commercial drone technology helped 
move uh, the the rover's helicopter along technically because the, you know there are a lot have been a lot of advancements in the commercial drone space at this point where like the autonomous capabilities of the drones to not crash into things and die in a fire has has gone up substantially and i think obviously with that kind of lag they've got to have things like that so the commands that they're inputting are probably more like no go more right or yeah. <laughs> you know point no, the camera right, more in that direction as opposed to don't hit ground so I actually have that information, um, and you're right. So, uh, so for per- perseverance, there was a company called Maxar Technologies. They helped develop the robotic arm that'll be on it to help you know dig for aliens, right? Uh, Northrop Grumman developed the navigational sensors, and then the drone company Aerovironment, Aerovironment, they helped build the um, the onboard helicopter. So yeah. That's pretty crazy stuff. And and I'm going to have a, a hard stop for myself here pretty soon. So I, I do want to uh, move on to, to something else. Oh, yeah. One that's just it. very near and dear to my heart. Uh, the semiconductor industry is obviously going through major shortages and, and issues with manufacturing. That's been a problem for the last year. So NVIDIA in particular, I mean, multiple GPUs were launched last year that no one can buy. We've, we've talked about that before. Daniel even made an announcement about getting his 3070, which was basically an impossible task. I have tried to get a 3080 or a 30, 3090 multiple different times, and it just isn't happening. In fact, I've been on a wait list for several months now to get notified of when one would be available from EVGA, and it just hasn't happened. Well, to compound this problem of people scalping these GPUs, the other part that we, we've had issues with and shortages before, even whenever there wasn't a, a semiconductor shortage, was because of mining. So like crypto yep. mining has particularly caused this problem. We are now compounded twice. One is p- bots buying and scalping for the scarcity reasons. The other one is for people buying and using this for mining purposes, especially for Ethereum right now. That seems to be the the really popular one. Well, NVIDIA came out and did two things that I think are, are great. One is, is they are limiting in the, the RTX 3060 that is being released here shortly. They are limiting the ability for it to actually crunch numbers for Ethereum mining specifically. So they are explicitly going in and limiting this, which I just feel like is a just an incredibly good move from like a, you have a purpose specifically for what your GPUs are all about, what they're for, what they're meant for. And you are trying to serve that purpose, which the 3060 is the most mainstream card. It's probably the most bought line of cards, the six, six series, that six is the important number um, because it's, it's a little cheaper. It's around $300 as opposed to like $800. And, and that's usually what most people would go for, for a GPU for a couple of years. So I love that they're supporting the idea of trying to deter Ethereum miners from scooping these up and taking them out of the hands of gamers, which is where they're supposed to be. But, you know, never waste an opportunity as a business. They are now also going to be Mm -hmm. making a specific line they called CMP specifically meant for mining crypto. So they're going to have a specific purpose, just like they do for gaming, just like they do for enterprise VDI and AI. And then now they're going to have it for for crypto mining as well, which... I think is very smart. So I like what they're doing for the gamers and I like the the business decision to go in on the mining side as well. So big, big I, stuff there. I was talking nice. to my brother about that yesterday. I, I think, I think also that, yeah, or I agree that that is a brilliant move. I, I think it's really smart of them to protect the, the loyal gaming customer base. Um, but 
obviously they are a public company with you know revenue targets and goals. So abandoning something as lucrative as the crypto mining community would be completely foolish. It's it's awesome to see them sort of making a very acute stride at preventing you know some of the frustration that's hit the gaming community, but not you know completely orphaning what's happening in the crypto space. Are they? The, and I, are they? The, oh, go oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's really interesting, too, that um, one of the unintended consequences of making uh, crypto uh, currencies that are ASIC um, immune, I think is what they refer to them as. I may be forgetting the term that, that the industry adopted for it, but this this definitely falls into an uninten- unintended consequence of ASIC immune crypto mining because currencies like Bitcoin did not prevent ASICs from being part of the total hash rate available to the community, right? So what you saw was specialized silicone for crunching Bitcoin mining, right? And think like where a a CPU could do hundreds of cycles or thousands, a GPU could do thousands or tens of thousands. ASICs were doing, you know, teraflops and, and they make both GPUs and CPUs completely worthless in a in a total pool of hash rate. By protecting crypto against those ASICs, they they put the you know the crown back on GPUs. Hmm. And obviously it's quite lucrative to successfully mine crypto. So there's a financial incentive to go buy up all of that stock, which is kind of how we got where we are. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, and what's interesting here is that they aren't they aren't going oh. to uh they aren't going to prevent it from being able to mine it, but they're going to make it about sure. half as efficient, which will make sure. the economics no yep. longer work Not for worth them, it. Exactly. Which is, which is a pretty, I think it's just a pretty smart thing that they're doing. Um, I do have to do, run. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? Quick question. Is this the first time you've seen a company brand something? So CMP looked up real quick, cryptocurrency mining processor, right? You have like GPU, CPU. This is a CMP. Is this the first company to, to brand it that way that you've seen? I haven't seen it. Any, that's definitely the first I've seen of someone yeah. branding it specifically cool. for crypto. But I will tell you that mm-hmm. I think, um, and and because when I thought of this, when I saw this yesterday, it's probably not the last. I think we're yeah. going to see people coming sure. out with, if you think of like AI solutions that are kind of like AI in a box, I think you're going to start seeing crypto in a box type of solutions from people to be able to, oh, for sure. to build. I think Especially they already as exist. Yeah, they, they probably already do. And I mean, so- definitely in the on the ASIC side, right? What I was just talking about those those because the the problem with an ASIC, as always, is a problem with an ASIC is that it is so dedicated to a process that if you get it the for crypto, as an example, it it is not always possible and sometimes non trivial to say, change like which currency you're hashing. They have to yeah. share the same sort of baseline. That that's actually a reason that Ethereum is so convenient, though. There are a boatload of coins that are based on the CR twenty, you know, sort of Ethereum backbone. So you can actually crunch a lot of different currencies because they all have different rules and stuff like that if you wanted to. But that's a that's a rabbit hole in and of itself, too. Yeah, man. All right. Russ had to drop. He had another call starting right now. One of the things that I immediately thought of, too, when when Russ brought that up, Austin. So Austin had a severe power challenge, much like Dallas, much like Houston, et cetera. There's all of a, Texas. Yeah, well, all, all of Texas. I just mean in some of these these uh, these major areas, um, you've got some of the larger like, um, you know, production facilities and all that kind of stuff. And so he was talking about the challenges of semiconductor manufacturing. Well, Samsung has a big plant there. They uh, were asked to pause production at two chip factories, wow. which is 28% of That's going to help. Yeah, 28% <laughs> of, 
of their production. They had to Oof. pause for, I don't know, week, whatever. Yeah, they, there's there's a lot of stuff, obviously, floating around about the impact of this weather event in Texas. And uh, I mean, rightfully so, the focus tends to start with or be on, you know, the deaths, right? Uh, there, there, There is loss of human life as the result of this. And that's pretty broadly considered unacceptable for something that's preventable, right? Yeah. And um, it, I think... Uh, what's what's unfortunate and where my very skeptical self sort of wonders what's going to happen is that this it's not unprecedented and it wasn't unpredictable right we we don't expect these events to happen very often which is why it becomes economically less viable for any like our grid any deregulated environment for the producers to voluntarily winterize production equipment and transmission equipment when they may never see the upside. Now, retrospect, you know, looking back, they missed a ridiculous opportunity to take advantage of an extended period of basically peak um, wholesale rates, which in Texas is uh, capped at, I think, $9 per kilowatt hour. And anybody that's ever looked at their bill realizes how insanely high that is. Yeah. But the um, the producers that were online will will do incredibly well this year financially because of those wholesale rates. And nine dollars is just a regulatory limit. Technically, you know, if if, they, if we didn't have a ceiling in law, that that could you know spike to infinity. But I I believe a lot of these refineries and other power producing, you know, uh, plants, right? Whether it's solar, it's wind, it's coal, it's, it's natural gas, it's nuclear. The likelihood of voluntarily winterizing on the off chance this happens again in the next 10 years is really low yeah. because it's very expensive. And right now we don't have a mechanism for rewarding any producer that voluntarily winterizes because the distribution arm and I guess the retail side of, of power distribution in Texas is just going to pick the lowest cost provider. And if you voluntarily chose to winterize, that's not you anymore. Right. So the only time you're going to get to sell at your higher rate is if rates spike because of demand and they need you. And this is exactly where we are. So if, if we don't actually put some kind of regulation in place that says you have to winterize, you have to produce, or or more importantly, or, or perhaps not more importantly, but as a corollary, we have to incentivize the, the, the production side to winterize, which is, again, non-trivial because we're deregulated, which means that they can just, whoever, the retail arm can go buy from whomever they want. So they're going to see, you know, low cost, right? Yeah. Um, then, uh, then, then we may not see changes again because this, like I said, it's not. This isn't unprecedented. This is an insane weather event for Texas. We don't, we don't see prolonged freezing almost ever. But uh, I mean, going back in history, this has happened three or four times in Texas, and and it's always just kind of the same result, right? We we don't winterize our wind turbines. They they freeze. They can't produce. We lost a nuclear power facility because they they did not winterize the coolant intake basically sitting on a lake and and it froze and it it became too cold to pull it into the facility so they had to shut it down um that takes a long time to to fire back up as an example we've got um 
We still have production and pipeline delivery problems with natural gas all over the state. Um, the, the pipeline, the generators that that I guess continue to keep pressure high are having issues as well as um, uh, what natural gas wellheads basically have frozen. So we, we have a lot of supply side freezing that's yeah. killing us, but there's very little incentive to fix it through yeah. market motions, right? It's amazing all the things we're becoming experts in, really. Being forced to. Unless you have no interest in understanding <laughs> what got us here so that you can figure out. I mean, like a perfect example would be if you're, if you're looking at this, right, and, and you don't understand why Texas failed, even, even a little bit, because I think we're far from experts, but, you know, joke taken. But, but if you don't understand it, then you've got no context to make a good decision about how you protect yourself against it. Yeah. Like there are going to be a lot of people who right. say, you know, well, obviously this was so bad that before next winter, we're going to fix it. Yeah. And, and they're probably wrong. And it's not because it's that hard and it's going to take that long, though that could actually be the case. It's it's that we we might just not do anything. Yeah. And so protect yourself. You know, get a generator if you need a generator. Think about what you're doing and have a plan for producing, you know, drinkable water, things like that. Uh, yeah. And and I, I unfortunately I don't think a lot of people are going to respond to it that way. So that's that's why I go try to figure this stuff out. Yeah. I mean, I'd never thought I'd say it here locally, but order yourself a life straw or four, right? If they're telling you they're <laughs> going to start, seriously, if they're telling you they're going to start sending non-potable water down your pipes, that was the breaking point for my wife. She was like, I can yeah. go without power forever, <laughs> whatever. It's fine. We got candles. It's it's almost romantic, you know, yada, 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 <laughs> that kind of stuff. She's like, but if they don't, like, if we don't have clean water, now we got some issues, you know? Uh and and here I was boiling 20 gallons at a time. Yeah. Putting them in the like 40 carboys that I had from back when I was a home brewer. Yeah. Unprecedented. Well, hey, I got something that just popped up here uh, related to what Russ was mentioning. Breaking news that NVIDIA came out and said they won't nerf the Ethereum mining performance of existing GPUs as well. They wanted to call that. Oh, wow. That's actually really interesting because I, I was going to mention something. We had moved on, so it didn't really seem appropriate, but... I can imagine that there are quite a few gamers who are frustrated with this news too, because they're, they're I remember oh, just when I was looking into it. Yeah. Is that you got yeah. people that want, want to do the gaming stuff, but then, you know, when they're sitting idly at night, they want to kick their cards on and, and go mine Ethereum. So yeah, that's a good there, point. there's a, there's a chunk of the public that bought into the old, I guess the old set now it's you know written on the box, but um, that would be pretty frustrating. So that that's actually pretty cool because it's again they're, they're I feel like Nvidia is kind of killing it on the understanding their customer here, which is I don't know, bravo to them. Yeah. All right, let's see here. Sorry, I was just texting with Kieran on the other side of the planet. Uh, he's Whoa. actually driving home. Had a major outage that ran really late into the night. He was. He saw that we were recording. He's like, oh, dude, I could jump on. So I just sent him the link. He said, no, nah, I, I just got home. I need to crash. Oh. It's like, again, 2 a.m. there. Crash and burn. Um, the other thing, though, that they said in this article, NVIDIA insists it's um, mining GPUs won't reduce the supply for gamers. So as they're starting up the, the CMP line, yeah, gamers are... are I don't concerned. know how that's possible. Right. That's what I was going to say. I mean, well, believe that news. Because, the, I mean, the, the gamers yeah. are already frustrated at the the reduced you know the challenged I, supply i'll say it that way. i don't know if i believe that i 
I think it depends on where the real bottleneck is. And obviously, I don't know NVIDIA's supply chain as well as they do. But if it's like a raw silicon problem, a more basic than gets integrated into a graphics, then wrong. Because <laughs> yeah. you're just going to have another. If it's we had two lines producing cards and we turned on a third line to produce you know, the, the crypto mining cards, then, okay, maybe. But I'm still really skeptical that this has no impact. <laughs> so this article actually goes into it. This is on TheVerge.com. Uh, it says here, I was also a bit skeptical that the company's new batch of cryptocurrency mining processor, CMP cards, marketed as an alternative for those miners would mean that gamers might actually be able to buy an RTX 3060 as a result. If NVIDIA is diverting its already limited production capacity <laughs> of GPUs to right. CMPs, doesn't that mean fewer gaming GPUs to begin with? There's a global semiconductor shortage going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, they said it better than I was going to say it, but I am doubtful. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sean Hollister, that's the uh, the author. I try to try to give credit where credit's due as we find these that's things. Um, looks like we, you can should, go we should be better at that. Him at Starfire2258 on the Twitters. The Twitters. All right, man. man. Uh, oh. Do you have something? I found it funny. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I'm, I'm still on the heels of all of the house stuff, so I haven't. I'm way behind on news. If it's not GameStop oh, yeah. and our related, can't... then I basically don't know what's happening. Yeah, and our listeners don't know that you're just on your mobile phone and you've yeah, that's not having trouble coming up and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I laughed out loud when I saw this one this morning. This is uh, BBC News. Huawei turns to pig farming as smartphone sales fall. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, is this like classic China? There's money in pig farming. You were successful with Huawei, so now you farm pigs? Because <laughs> I, I know they did that so, with their wine industry. So, <laughs> Oh, did they? What did, they, what, yeah, what did China I, do with their wine industry? Well, when, so at the end of my college career, I, uh, I ended up taking a course, a study abroad in Australia, and one of the courses was a a wine study class. Yeah. You do the math there. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the, the last leg of it was actually three weeks, um, traveling through China and oh, visiting right. the Chinese wine industry. And, uh, one of the funniest of which there that's were many cool. stories from that trip was, uh, going to a winery now, which name I probably never could pronounce, but I have forgotten entirely at this point, um, where, it was fairly young. I think they had been operating for maybe three years at the time. Could have been a little longer than that. And uh, it was the proprietor of the the wine, the winery, the entire operation was a successful Chinese automobile general manager. Um, and he was told that he is responsible responsible for building the wine industry in china in that region like overnight just you've done good with cars we would like to be a world power in wine you now make wine and we got to so, try like his earliest wines and stuff and they were awful but he basically had an unlimited budget to fly <laughs> in you know bordeaux producers and and californian wine producers and and it's like plant all of the grapes and and you know they're trying to tell him no 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 you can't just grow what you want here and he's like great plant them all and we'll find which ones <laughs> do grow 
<laughs> and then he he did. We had we tried years of wine. They were, most of them were just awful because none of them knew what they were doing. Um, and and obviously they were just like, boom, here's your plot, make wine. There was no pre-analysis done to make sure it was a good region or at least if it was it was from the it was it's so so very interesting yeah <laughs> wow what an interesting story um no this so this is a little bit different um but that, that's pretty funny uh no it says uh so this is on uh, finance.yahoo.com huawei is turning to technology for pig farmers as it deals with tough sanctions on its smartphones right we've talked about this on the show before as well um, Huawei getting blocked out of certain markets because of Huawei, certain but it says the Chinese markets. telecoms giant was stopped from accessing virtual, sorry, vital components after the Trump administration labeled it a threat to U.S. national security. In response to struggling smartphone sales, Huawei is looking at other sources of revenue for its technology. So it's just digging into like developing AI tech for pig farmers, right? It's it's going after that helping pig farming, working with coal mining industries, all that kind of stuff. It's not it's not really like Huawei the company isn't pig farming. They're helping pig farmers. They're helping coal miners. They're helping. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So just you know taking some of the technology, the hardware, software that they would have put into a mobile device. Um, and kind of re-diverting that to certain industry verticals to help with particular use case challenges they may have. Yeah, I wonder I why they, uh, it is a funny title. I wonder what, what it was that made them focus on pig farming. Um, I, w- I wonder if that's bigger than I thought it was in China. That's, I guess, everything's a little bigger than you probably think it is in China just because of scale, scope, population. But um, I, I'm always impressed with how much technology has gone into modern farming. When I say that, I'm usually oh, yeah. thinking about crop technology, but uh, obviously on the animal side too, it's pretty fascinating. Um, so it's uh, that they, I get so many questions I have now, like, what are they doing? How yeah, big well, is pig farming in China? Are, so it are actually these, goes like, on. Megaliths? I, I, I ha- like, have the answers is it, is here it for you. Small man. time farmers? Like, I need to know more. Okay. Well, you got the questions. I got the answers. Here we go. Uh, pig farming in China. That's what we're learning about today. Uh, China has the world's biggest pig farming industry. It's home to half wow. of the world's live hogs. What? Yes. Yep. Told you. Everything is indeed bigger in China now. Yeah. So. Feels wrong. Which reminds context. me, when there's more facts here, I'll come back to this. But it reminds me, if you've ever listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, you've probably heard his bit on uh, on tigers. This is before he moved to Texas. He loved Texas purely for the fact that there are more tigers in private collections in Texas <laughs> Then there are uh, the, there are the wild in the entire rest of the oh, world. Oh no, that's worse. That's that's awful. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. So it goes on. Let's talk more about pig farming here. Um, so whenever they were talking about AI being introduced to detect diseases um, and track pigs, so they, they can use facial recognition to identify individual pigs, and then wow. the wow. And at the same time, be able to monitor their weight, diet, exercise, all that kind of stuff. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Like, really impressive. I, I love that we have developed facial recognition technology for pigs. Yep. And there are yep. a lot of and, jokes that you could make on the tail of that that I'm not going to. Wait, what? Sorry, I was I was already kind of taking the next step, connecting it to Take the, the next era step. That's and enough. all that kind of stuff. I that don't... one was for our listeners only. Okay, I missed that one. I'll have to come back and listen to it. Um, but yeah, anyway, whatever. Okay, cool. Let's move off of that. What else we got here? 
Uh, I, I feel like we can't have a tech breakfast podcast and not mention that Uber lost its gig workers rights challenge in the UK Supreme Court. Yeah, I think so. Right that's before you kind joined. of a big freaking deal. Yeah, Russ said he had some huge news out of the UK. That must have been what it was. That is probably it. Yes. Uh, so, so the UK's uh, Supreme Court has uh, classified Uber workers as non-gig, which means that Uber is now responsible for you know minimum wage uh, as well as holiday pay, and I'm sure a bevy of other benefits that come to employees versus. Uh, independent contractors, which I think has been the battle that Google is. Yeah. And this is the opposite. Um, This is the opposite decision from what happened in California. Yes, but it's also at the highest court um, as opposed to, if I'm not mistaken, California, California's Supreme court may have given uh, Uber the the go, but until it goes through the U S Supreme court, assuming it does, we often do not hear cases at the, the Supreme Court level. Um, you know, you let lower courts ruling stand and they just don't hear it. But uh, until until they get crushed at the Supreme Court level, it's not really done in the United States. This, uh, I, I would assume, is pretty similar to how the U.S. works in that regard. And so their highest court has said, nope, you got to pay. Not independent contractors. Okay. Uber insists its drivers are self-employed. That it acts as more of an agency, which connects them with passengers through an app. The ruling potentially jeopardizes Uber's business model in the UK. Yeah, I'm, I'm super curious what our listeners think. Of, and I've, we've got to find, and that's why I'm curious by the fire chat thing that Mark Cuban is working on. I, I wish we could, I want to find better ways to connect with our listeners. And I'm glad I said listeners this time instead of customers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super curious what our listeners think on this one. Um, because even like we were divided on the podcast where some of this stuff mm-hmm. stands and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious if y'all have opinions well, on this and you feel like hit, hitting us up on, on Twitter. Um, I, I, I go back to the, the argument that I made, right. And I don't remember word for word what I said before, but I'm pretty sure I still think the same way. So we're going to go with it. Um, is that I, I think Uber wants the best of both worlds and yeah. now they, well, what, they, so yeah, why wouldn't they, well, well, no, obviously, but, but they, if they wanted to treat drivers as independent contractors, then they should have been really careful about how they treated independent contractors Yeah, because they point. wouldn't have lost this case if their greed did not go so far as to make their control of a bunch of independent contractors look like employment, right? Yeah. They could have protected against what is quite possibly the most catastrophic answer to this question by being a little less greedy. Yeah. So you're saying the, the way that they were treating these independent contractors in this kind of gig economy concept, they were overreaching and yeah. acting like they were employees. Precisely. But not- but not compensating them like they were employees. They were, they were exacting too much control yeah. over what the individual can and can't do or when they work and things like that. Yeah. And and that is probably, and, and I'm not a legal expert. I haven't read all the case notes and I probably won't. I don't know that I care enough, but um, my guess is that they basically lost this because they did a really bad job of treating contractors like contractors. And eh, that's yeah. your fault. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So what's interesting, I think, uh, is that a another company like Uber, 
could actually successfully treat their drivers like gig workers, like contractors, yeah, by yeah. being very careful to follow the letter of the law uh, with regard to what you can and can't do. Now, it's quite possible that a a ride service like this, especially one that's based on ratings, which I think is pretty appropriate, right, may just naturally run afoul of contractor law, right? Because rating the contractors and determining, you know, which gigs they can get, stuff like that. I don't know where the line is, but I could imagine it gets a little fuzzier when you're trying to pair good riders with good drivers uh, because you're exacting a little more control over, you know, somebody just showing up to work. Um, I, I don't know, but it's possible that it, that could have downstream impact that way. But I'm, I'm curious if a, a Lyft or another sort of Uber clone that's just really careful about how they treat their contractors doesn't come and undercut Uber in this market because they don't have this burden and therefore they're going to have less expense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point. Uh, while I'm thinking about it, uh, one of the top things on tech meme right now is about uh, Facebook and media and all this kind of stuff, the craziness that's going on in Australia. Uh, Kieran, I imagine you're listening. Um, our senior field, Australian field correspondent, senior field Australian, <laughs> I don't know. How do we say that? Our Australian senior field correspondent. There, there it we is. Go. Uh, got the words in the right order. Uh, come join us next week. Let us know what's going on down there, man. Um, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. So I'm curious what you think about uh, the government, the Australian government's media rulings around what's required and the perception of what's going on with Facebook just saying, okay, fine, you know, we don't want to, we think that's, that's insane. So we're not going to allow you to do anything. You know, we'll just remove ourselves from the situation. As I was tweeting out a couple of days ago, Facebook basically just like roofed the ball and went home and said, nope, no more sure. game here. So that's uh yeah, come that's not a fun that. way to play games. No nope. mean. Nope. Um all right, what else is in the well, news? Well, uh I, I don't think we get into it on this podcast, but the uh GameStop hearing in the House of Representatives, um, the what securities basically commission, um, or or what do they call it? Uh I'm blanking. I this very morning today. Um Anyways, uh, the CEOs for um, Melvin Capital, a hedge fund in the United States, Citadel, a market maker, um, uh, Robinhood, the uh, brokerage application, as well as uh, yeah. the Reddit CEO. <laughs> yeah, the Reddit the Reddit CEO was on, and um, and then of course uh, Roaring Kitty or DFV, the redditor who sort of. Uh, started posting his position and it snowballed into basically a, a movement against shorts in the market using GameStop as the pillar was was also available. And um, the hearing was really interesting. I thought it, it was very frustrating for me as well, um, because as, as is often the case, I feel like a lot of it is political theory. There was plenty of grandstanding. There was a fair share of uh, partisan bickering. But what, what bothered me was, uh, you know, the, the committee is quite large. And there's the word committee. Um, mm -hmm. So many of our representatives, and, and I'm speaking as an American holistically here, because representatives, uh, you know, they represent smaller chunks of, of the you know, the state that they're coming from, right? Their constituencies aren't sure. necessarily massive, but um, they very clearly did not understand this. And, and 
what bothers me about that is a they're the representatives they're the ones that are going to be responsible for legislating if legislation is necessary around this concept so you know that's frustrating as it as it is but then also like this was the opportunity for representatives to ask good questions trying to get to sort of the bottom of this and making it very public um and and i feel like they did it absolutely terrible job on average. Um, there were some very good questions. I thought uh, it's very easy not to really answer them in, in a meaningful way in, in these hearings, unfortunately, but it's also not exactly a legal hearing. Um, you have to be truthful because lying to Congress is a, a an offense, um, but you can kind of get squirrely. Uh, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's annoying, but I, if the like, Without getting into what, all the what, details. Wait, what's good about, what do you mean? Can you expand on that a little bit? Oh, like what's good about not being able to answer those questions? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it kind of, this is a bit of a step away from it, but I think, um, you know, our constitutional right to not self-incriminate is, oh, I is an important part of how our whole legal system works. So sure. if, if you do not want to answer a question because it would be devastating to your case, right, then you don't yeah. have to. And, and they, they, there are other means that they would have to find out that you've done something, but you, you don't self-incriminate or you don't have to self-incriminate. Um, but but what was you, your take you on can, the beginning when oh, uh, Representative Waters, no, I'm sorry, you're, you're trying to get to a point. No, 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 it's fine. Ask. Well, when Representative Waters uh, kept saying just, just yes or no, yes or no, mm. and they would get like three words in and she said, never mind, I'm, I'm going to take my time back. So the, and, and this is, this is the problem with almost these- every, committee well, the hearings part of that just real quick on that is i feel like every question in there is going to be it's going to have nuances and you can't just well, of course. say yes or no but but that's what's frustrating about it it's like yeah. i understand that the representative wants a simple yes or no answer so did you break the law yes or no oh, well i'm not that's not we're not we're not answering that question right <laughs> right um and and so it's silly of her to ask, though, hey, why not? Give it a shot. And if they don't know that they don't have to do that, then they make a mistake and, and give you a blanket statement. And if it's a lie, then they're in trouble. And if it's not like it's it's just it's kind of silly, but they don't have to comply. Yeah. And that's that's fine. That's arguably a good thing about that kind of legal context, I guess. But um, yeah, they, they want there was a lot of like asking pointed questions to try to uncover an answer that they wanted as opposed to get to the root of something. And so they'd ask a question. And as soon as the person on the other end started to talk about the nuance, they'd be like, never mind, give me my time back. I'm going to ask another question, see if I can get the answer I want. Yeah, and yeah. so like, I, or at least that's how I feel about it. Right. And, sure. and if I feel that way, then the general public probably just fell asleep. And that's that's irritating as well, is that <laughs> yeah. you're, like the idea here is to have a public hearing trying to understand whether or not it's necessary to fix something that's broken. And uh, I, I would argue if you took that hearing at face value, the answer is no, because we didn't ask questions well, about the crap that nuance. broke. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I, I, just a slight nuance there. I think the hearing is about trying to figure out if something was broken, not no, if I know something that, needed yes. to be done about something that was broken. Well, no, okay, that's fair. That in that that is that is a, a fair criticism of how I said that. But they, if you don't ask the right questions, you will never find out whether or not something actually broke. And they yeah. focused on things that I don't think were broken. Personally, they they focused on the way that market makers operate with brokerages like Robinhood, where they're making money on the transaction. And 
you can ask questions all day about whether or not we should have a system that works that way. But I would argue at this point, which I think Citadel and Robinhood did a pretty good job of arguing, that it's good for them, but it's also good for traders on average. More importantly, in my opinion, it has nothing to do with what went wrong in the GameStop scenario. And that is the issue is that we just we went off on this rabbit trail that Sure, people are probably angry about. We get angry all the time when fintech finds a way to make money on their customers or what we pretend like are their customers, um, because it's big finances versus the little guys. But but it doesn't. It's not always into this. I know. I can't. I I can't help. Yeah, right. In my head. (laughs) Oh man. Anyways, I yeah. Fine. We can talk about it later. No, I love it. I love it. No, talk about. It's just share your thoughts now. And then we can have a follow-up too with, I know John Nicholson uh, should probably come on the show and talk about his takes on this stuff too. So, Well, I, and, I, and I think this gets into one of those, like, I'm, I'm not an expert in this space, but I am so curious about how this works and whether or not the things that went wrong were illegal. Like you're going to hear a lot about um, lawsuits against Robinhood for uh, halting trading on GameStop and a few other meme stocks as they're mm-hmm. referred, right? Well, it's normal for brokerages to potentially limit trading on securities basically for any reason. And there's plenty of question mark there. And, and that's potentially something that could be legislated. But let's assume for a second that it works that way for good reason. Then the best reason for that is to mitigate risk. Now, in this case, when a stock goes incredibly volatile and and skyrockets in price. And in this particular case, where it was in a situation where a you know you'll hear the term short squeeze or gamma squeeze is happening and the price could quite possibly go parabolic and upwards of infinity, right? The the way that the financial system works now, predominantly because of how the settlement system works, which might be the only good thing that came from that that hearing, in my opinion, when the DTCC sets the collateral rate for a security, which they do all the time, and they're adjusting all the time, it is not unusual to see that rate go very high for securities that are incredibly volatile, like GameStop was, right? Yeah. DTCC, if I'm understanding this correctly, basically set it to 100%. So for every buy of GameStop, once DTCC set that collateral rate, the brokerage is you responsible to, for say some of those things. So DTCC, so, Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. Yes, and I and man, I got all company. kinds of questions. They should have been in this conversation, in my opinion, yeah. and so should have the SEC, because the SEC and DTCC are the only members of this entire organization, unless there was collusion between Melvin Capital, uh, Citadel, and Robinhood, right. which that would have been a whole different problem, and I'm sure it's being investigated. But it's also easy for them to have, or easy for it to not have happened that way, right? Think think about where Robinhood makes its money. By letting buy people buy and sell securities, they don't have a vested interest in stopping you from buying and selling GameStop. It does not matter if yeah. it loses you a thousand dollars or wins you a thousand dollars. It it's irrelevant to Robinhood whether or not you win or lose. They just want you to trade. So well, yeah. better for them. Better for them for you to trade. Better, well, better for Citadel for, them for you to win. Well, uh, right? well, yes, obviously, because then you'll it, stay and trade more. Because then you stay and you trade more. But yeah. but my point is. 
they are not motivated to cripple GameStop accelerated value because of a short squeeze. There's not a financial yeah. driver for that until right. you start to get up underneath the covers. So yeah. when the DTCC sets the, the collateral rate and realize that all of the settlement of transactions in our marketplace ultimately goes through DTCC. And, yeah. and this is, they're, they're the- Let me read this real quick. So just straight from Wikipedia. Yeah, read, yeah, read it. They're an American post-trade financial services company providing clearing and settlement services to the financial markets. So it performs the exchange of securities, right? Like stocks and stuff like that on behalf of buyers and sellers and functions as a central securities depository by providing central custody of securities. Right. So they are the trust, which is right. funny because blockchain came up a couple of times in the conversation yesterday. Again, I think from senators that or representatives, not senators, uh, that, that don't potentially understand that very much, right? But they operate as the settlement trust for buyers and sellers from disparate brokerages and other you know, settlement firms that sort of back them um, to make sure that when brokerage A has a user buying a stock and that stock ultimately comes from brokerage Z selling that stock, that the stock and the money trade hands. Yeah. And, and so DTCC is, is that trust, that centralized they're the, they're the trust. Yeah, exactly. And, and the so yeah. decentralization actually makes sense here, right? And this is something I, I wish Russ was still on for because he gets excited about centralization um, or decentralization. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> um, say well, you get excited about both. You can't be excited about one without being excited about the other. Yeah, You're yeah. usually angry at one and happy about the other. But yep. um, the, the point is, if DTCC jacks the requirement rate up to 100%, which again is arguably appropriate. They're saying for every for every dollar somebody's going to spend on this stock, you you have to guarantee that you have it by giving it to me and I'll hold it in my custody until I get the share at which point, you know, I'll give you the share, you get the cash from your people. Now, that that is not necessarily a bad thing because it prevents people from for instance, seeing that GME was in a legitimate short squeeze scenario and taking out massive margin loans to buy shares, even at $500, knowing that if it continues, it, it can go to infinity. Well, that's not necessarily good for the market. So you want to limit the margin side of this. But what where I get confused and where they did not ask any of these questions is, why, why is the need for Robinhood to go and get capital for purchasing shares, something that would stop trading. Now, yeah. slow it down, I get, because going and securing capital is non-trivial when you're talking about billions of dollars, which is what they were talking about. Robinhood had to go secure new money in, in the, the billions of in. range. But, but here's, here's the thing. If it's not oh, some of the clearing, it if takes it's, two days, right? Yeah, it does. So it, it's it's somebody else's money for two days. They have to have somebody else's money, their own money, yeah, to to secure the purchase. And and this is the this is why real time transactions reduce capital requirements. And that's a very real problem that we should solve. And it's silly that we're not there yet. Not that it's trivial, but come on, um, Bitcoin or, or sorry, uh, cryptocurrency or not, right? Like we can we can solve the real-time transaction settlement problem, uh, we just haven't. And I think it's because of organizations like DTCC, but that's that's just me. Um, the 
the thing that gets me is that if if your buyers aren't buying on margin, so if they're not borrowing money to put it up, it means that the cash is in the account. And if the cash is in the account, you know you, Robinhood, have access to that cash. Yeah. It's earmarked. You can't pull it out of the account until it settles, which means it should be real bloody easy to go get somebody else's money as collateral in the meantime. Right. Because you're, you're basically saying, oh, yeah, I have guaranteed buys. So I just yeah. need your money for two days and I have all of it sitting right here to pay you back. So that is a question I would have loved to have hear a better well, answer to. But who because wants it's to loan not money? risky. Who wants to loan money at 0% for two days? What's the benefit? Well, who says 0%? I mean, they, well, they potentially okay. have to borrow money all the time. It, it, this doesn't have to be a free transaction. And, and that might have been the answer, but it should have been asked. The answer might be, we couldn't borrow at a rate less than 12%, which is absurd. And that makes it financially unviable for us to continue to raise capital even for two days because of the sound. And the beauty of asking that question would have gotten a probably a pretty straight answer from from Robinhood, uh, would have highlighted yet another problem with settlements taking two days and, and gotten us somewhere a little bit further than we did. But it was lack of questions like that that actually get to the root of... Mm -hmm. Like, why, why was the situation A possible? How is, it, how is a short squeeze even possible me, in our market? Let me propose something. So I think there's two things that need to happen here. One is we probably need to have like an average American that has expressed great interest in this that sits in on the hearings to ask these kinds of questions that's unbiased, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be cool. I'm getting towards a joke here, right? Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be funny. Uh, but it, it, it made me think of like in the Olympics, right? When people are watching, uh, you know, these men and women run a hundred meter dash in just insane speeds. And you're like, gosh, I really can't even understand that to, to, the, to the speed and the acceleration at which they're able to do that. We need to throw an average American in the, in the race or just an average person anyway. So, um, yeah. Anyways, I'd like anyway. I I still I still think the root root of this has nothing to do with Robinhood alting trading. I, I think it has to do with why Robinhood had to, um, and and whether or not that's appropriate. And then there's a perfect opportunity to understand, really understand how it was possible that GameStop was shorted 140 percent of total shares and something like 200 percent of float. Yeah. Because that shouldn't be possible in our marketplace. And, and you can't just blame it on settlement, right? Uh, I mean, we are, we're blaming it on settlement. But at the end of the day, a short squeeze isn't possible if shorts don't have, or if shorts have access to shares. Yeah. You're supposed to have access to shares. We, don't, we legally don't allow naked shorting anymore, yeah. which means that, that synthetic shares are being produced. And that's that is probably more important, but there's there are only a couple organizations that can answer how that's even possible, and they weren't there. DTCC yeah. and the SEC weren't in the room. <laughs> yeah, that short interest should have been the focus of the whole conversation, and then the secondary focus, in my opinion, should have been how, with that much of a short interest, was the system able to prevent a short squeeze that came out of retail because. There, there may be something very fishy about how that happened too. It's surprising that with 140% of uh, shorts, right, 100% of shares shorted, that shorts were even able to cover. Now, is it surprising that Melvin Capital as a single hedge fund was able to cover? No. There was one question to Melvin Capital, and it said, did you short more than, than 100% of float? Well, no. Did hedges globally 
short GME, more than 100% of float? Probably. That's a problem. Yeah. All right. I got a question for you. It looks like you have to go. So let's shut this yep, down. Yep. I think we're probably Sounds past good. time anyway. Did you see the Mortal Kombat trailer? No, I did not. Oh, yeah. You've been without power. Dude, go watch That's it. Right. It's okay. like three minutes of a new movie. And it gave but me I don't like, like watching the hair trailers. was standing up on the back of my neck like the whole time. Oh, no, that's <laughs> it awesome. took me back to when I was like 11. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, well, maybe it'll be the first trailer I watch in a long time. Dude, I it's... usually don't watch trailers. I don't like it. Through oh, my, like, yeah, that's experience. right. I forgot that about you. I yeah, might just have don't to watch wait. it. Dude, yeah, don't watch it. Just know that you and I are going to watch this movie together. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. Let me. But so now let me say one thing. Uh, there's some controversy around Jax because his arms get ripped off, right? As we know, but it's not the original. It's not part of the original story. It gets they get taken off by Sub Zero instead. But the other thing, Sub Zero cuts this dude, and his blood goes flying up in the air. And he reaches up and he turns the blood into a dagger, and then stabs the guy with his own frozen blood. <laughs> He's like, "What? Oh my god!" Uh, all I can think of is like the first Mortal Kombat movie and uh, and how amazing it was i was gonna say awful but it wasn't yeah. it was amazing awfully amazing <laughs> anyway, all right on that note my middle school i'm life. shutting her down yeah that's do it. it that's it we're done we're back but that is the end of today's tech breakfast podcast thanks for joining hope you enjoyed it we certainly did it's good to have power it's good to have internet it's good to be engaging with our listeners yet again we will talk to you guys next week gosh is it really the end of the week it's the yeah, end of the week Friday. wow have a great weekend i don't know how we got there so fast um and uh yeah we'll, we'll talk to all y'all on monday stay uh warm peace, peace.